Welcome to episode 397 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the BaseballReference.com Play Index. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined as always by Sam Miller. Uh, Today we are doing the Padres preview episode. Later in the show, Nick Wheatley-Schaller will be talking to Corey Brock from MLB.com. We, in just a moment, will be talking to Jeff Young who wrote the Padres uh, chapter for or essay for the Baseball Prospectus Annual and has long written about the Padres. Uh, quick, quick PSA before we get to that. Um, if you have not registered yet for the Reliever Fantasy League that Sam proposed on Friday, it is too late to register for the Reliever Fantasy League that Sam proposed on Friday. Uh, we got an, an overwhelming response, um, so we had to, to cut it off there. Uh, the other quick PSA is that today is a very big day at Baseball Prospectus, content-wise. A lot of you have told us that you have subscribed to the site at some point during the show's run because you found out about BP through the show, and that always makes us very happy to hear. Uh, if you are still on the fence about doing that, today would be a really good day to go to Baseball Prospectus and see all the stuff that we have up today. Probably the most that we've ever published in one day at BP, and there's something for everyone there. Pro scouting stuff, amateur scouting stuff, stat stuff, fantasy stuff, just a a ton of articles. So go check it out. Uh, So, Padres, Jeff, you (coughs) literally just walked in the door after a long drive from Peoria where you were watching Padres. Uh, Can you tell us anything that you saw of interest there other than the enormous uh sinkhole pool that was preventing you from getting out of your room (laughs) uh well that was certainly a highlight for sure um other than that uh yeah i don't know i saw the padres get beat a couple of times so that uh they're kind of in mid-season form already that's good um uh yeah um you know this morning i was out uh i was out at the backfields watching uh carlos quentin run a little bit which was nice to see um and got to see Austin Hedges do some defensive drills, and uh, uh, let's see. On Friday, was out and saw uh, Andrew Kashner look pretty good in the game pitching. Uh, the defense was terrible; they didn't help him at all. But um, yeah, it's just you know, it's just really exciting to be out there. And um, gosh, that's a horrible cliche, isn't it? But it, it's really great to just even have baseball happening again. Were you awestruck by Austin Hedges' receiving skills and catching skills generally? I'm always in awe of everything Austin Hedges does, has done, and ever more shall do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of him. Um, so the good news, I guess, about the Padres is that you can watch the Padres on TV this season, it sounds <laughs> like, if you're interested in, in such a thing. Is that the case? Um. Well, yeah, in theory, uh, yeah, in theory, everyone should now be able to watch everyone who has cable should now be able to watch the Padres in San Diego. So that's that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that is that's a big step forward. Really yeah. Joining joining the, the 2014 major leagues in that sense. So, um, Jeff, 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 um, what, just out of curiosity, does that have implications for the team? I mean, obviously, it's not good for the franchise long term if half of their possible fans aren't allowed to watch them. But. Do they get more money now if twice as many people are able to watch them? 
You know, I'm not sure how that breaks down financially for them. Um, that, that's a good question, but I really don't know the answer to that. But uh, certainly from a from a public interest and goodwill standpoint, it's going to make a big difference. And they are, it seems like, increasing payroll. Is there is there a reason given for that? Is it just the, the general prosperity of the league and the national TV contracts? or Because in your essay, you, you spend a lot of time talking about how they've been you know, a $40 million to $60 million team. And according to, to something I just read recently, they're they're looking like a, an $87 million team all of a sudden. Is that, uh, what what does that reflect? Yeah, a lot of that has to do with the new ownership group that, uh, the, the new new ownership group that is now in place and um, apparently will be in place uh, as opposed to the last new ownership group that never really was in place. Um, so um, yeah, that, that's that's been a big shot in the arm, and um, uh, they're they're definitely making a strong financial commitment to this team. What effect did that ownership merry-go-round have? Just to keep <laughs> switching ownership every <laughs> couple of years is is pretty disruptive, I would think. Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was those those two and a half or three years or whatever that was. It was so confusing because um, I don't think anybody. I, I certainly don't think fans had any inclination that uh, that that ownership group really wasn't going to be there for the long haul. The idea was that they were going to that that group was going to start uh, you know building some foundations and really laying some groundwork for things going forward. And then when they tried to do that, all of a sudden they weren't really in charge anymore. And so everything you know whatever they've been doing to that point, sort of it was like okay, well scrap all that. We're going to start something different now. Um, and you know. I, th- I think they're 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 going to start to recover from that now. They they seem to be going in a, another uh, another direction that looks like it's a good direction. Um, and I think now with an actual stable ownership group that has MLB approval and so forth, uh, hopefully they will be able to actually implement that plan. Mm-hmm. And what about on the field progress last season? As as you noted, there wasn't any progress at all record wise. Uh, but there were some positives to take from the season, I suppose. Well, yeah, um, certainly. I think um, I think the development of a few key young or youngish players uh, was was really helpful. Uh, seeing a guy like Jed Jerko, who hadn't played at all in the major leagues before last season, and is really a converted third baseman, step in and, and become the everyday second baseman and, and really play quite well on both sides of the ball. Um, we knew he would hit. We knew he would hit for some power. Uh, we weren't sure how he would play defense, but he was pretty solid out there at second base. Um, and then uh, a couple of guys at the in the rotation that weren't necessarily in the rotation at the beginning of the year, but now look like pieces going forward uh, were Andrew Kashner and um, Tyson Ross uh, that both really came on strong, especially toward the second half of the season, and, and look like they, they should be a part of this uh, health permitting, which is far from a given with Padres pitchers, uh, that they should be a part of the rotation for for a while. So it's always kind of been um, a, not quite as bad as Coors Field, but it's always been a little hard to assess Padres players because the park has such a big effect on all these uh, on all their numbers. So after the first year of moving the fences in, um, what was your sort of feel for how it plays now, and and how 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 much should I be discounting, uh, you know, Ross's year or giving credit to Jerko? 
Um, you know, I haven't studied it real closely. The the general impression I got was that it did boost home runs a little bit, but that it didn't have an overall effect on runs scored per se. So, um, you know, maybe if maybe you're seeing a few more home runs from a guy like Venable or or a guy like Jerko, although you know Jerko being right-handed, it wasn't going to be um, affecting him quite as much. Uh, since that that didn't tend to suppress the right-hander's power so much, um, but um, I I don't know. I mean I like for example, Kashner and Ross are two really interesting um, cases for me. I, I look at Kashner and um, just the way he was going after guys, uh, really coming after him with like three solid pitches, and um, you know he 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 isn't that flamethrower that. Not that he doesn't throw hard, but he isn't just purely a flamethrower that that uh, a lot of us thought we were getting when when he came from uh, the Cubs. But uh, he, he seems to have evolved into a lot more of a pitcher. And really, the big question with him right now, last year the question was could he hold up, could he hold up to a starter's workload and and was his repertoire deep enough to to really succeed in that role? And and he proved yes on both counts. Now the big question is can he repeat that in terms of uh, most particularly with his health? Um, Ross, you know, it's a little, it's a little bit different with Ross because he's had a, a lot of up and down and, uh, his, his success, his track record in the major leagues has been very mixed prior to last year. And, um, last year that slider kind of came out of nowhere and he was a different pitcher. Um, how much of an effect Petco had on those guys? I, I would, I, I mean, I would imagine some, but I don't think it's that extreme. Those guys... I think especially Kashner would probably succeed just about anywhere uh, with the stuff he has. Um, you know, these aren't, this isn't like, you know, running Kevin Correa or, or Aaron Harang or, um, you know, Clayton Richard. I mean, when Clayton Richard was healthy, you know, he had, he had like a sub three ERA at Petco and he was um, you know, nearly twice that everywhere else. So um, I, I don't think these guys quite fall into that category. Just curious. I mean, so uh, besides the official park factors, there was always sort of the uh, Padres hitters complaining factor, um, and they would sort of tell you what they thought of the park uh, in you know their sort of grimaces rounding first after a deep flyout or their quotes after the game. So uh, just as far as the players' quotes, how did they describe it? Well, or did it, they? I you know I think probably the. Um... I think probably the best indicator would be more of an absence of things. Uh, you weren't hearing quite so many um, excuses, I guess would be the word for it. You don't, you, yeah, it, it wasn't, it, it wasn't becoming as much of a distraction. I think it would be a good way to put it. Uh, so you, you, you mentioned the, the injury trend or what seems to be a trend. Has it gotten to the point that you would label it that way? Would you call it a, a problem with the Padres or would you still reserve judgment and say that it could just be one of those things? One team is bound to have a bunch of injured pitchers. Well, it's, it's funny because, um, I mean, yeah, you can kind of look at it both ways, but I'll tell you that, um, in fact, I know you're having, uh, Corey on, uh, Corey Brock had, uh, actually written an article just a few days ago, uh, about that and about, uh, what the Padres are doing this year differently in terms of training, um, and taking more of a, a preventive approach to um, to try and do things to minimize injury risk, which I, I know that sounds obvious and that's what every team should be doing. 
but I, I apparently they've made some a few tweaks in their program to to sort of um, hopefully help help make that happen. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so now that this team is spending a little bit more money, are we going to start seeing a bunch of extensions signed? Are we going to see a sort of Braves situation where a bunch of guys get locked up at once, or would you expect certain people to to walk like Headley? Well, I, I'd love to see some extensions. I, I love what the Braves have been doing. Um, I'd, I'd like to see the Padres follow that model as much as they can. Obviously, they don't have quite the same level of talent that the Braves have, but they have some guys. Um, Headley's a little bit. That's a little bit of a different case because he he's already a bit more expensive and. Um, you also don't exactly know what you're getting in him other than a very good third baseman and a guy who, who pretty much plays every day. But, um, you know, what he did the second half a couple of years ago, sort of, and, and he was dinged up all last year. So, you, you know, it's, you're not exactly sure what you're getting with him other than he's going to be a good, a very good major league third baseman. But whether he's going to be a guy who hits 30 home runs or not, that's another story. So he, he's kind of in a, in a little bit of a class by himself. But some of the younger guys, and I, I alluded to this in the uh, – um, annual essay. Some of the younger guys that uh, that I'd like to see them target would be guys like like Everth Cabrera and Jerko and um, and Andrew Kashner and possibly Tyson Ross. But there, there's a few of those guys where I think you know if you could lock them up now and get them into um, club favorable contracts for the next three or four years, uh, they they could end up paying pretty big dividends down the line. Mm-hmm. The Padres are kind of a strange team in that they uh, they signed a bunch of these extensions a couple years ago, and they're one of the few teams that sort of had the guys go belly up on them a little bit. I'm thinking of Lubke, and I'm thinking of, of Mabin. There might have been others. Um, Hunley, right? Didn't they yeah. lock up Hunley, too? Yeah, so um, is there any sense that, well, I, I guess there's probably not. I mean, these are just exceptions, right? I mean, everybody knows these extensions are are club favorable. So even if a few went against them, they're probably not going to be too scared of that, I would think. No, I think everybody's pretty pleased with the process behind that and that those were just, uh, I mean, you know, Lubke to go have Tommy John almost immediately after that. And then and then for that Tommy John not to take, and now he's had a second one, um, you know, that's, that's kind of looking like a lost contract. But, you know, given the information everybody had at the time, it looked like a great signing. Um, same with Mabin, who unfortunately he got hurt again today, and um, you know now they're not sure he's going to be ready for opening day. Um, so he's just not been able to stay healthy at all. Um, Hunley has more or less been able to stay healthy, but he's you know, and he's a he's a solid major league catcher, but he's kind of he's like he's a really good complementary player, but kind of on a borderline starter. Um, you know, if you have to rely on him too much. That's kind of a problem, but but if you have him like working in tandem with a Yasmani Grandal, it's not so bad. Um, whereas you know if you if you've got like Grandal is out, and like he was the second half of last season, and then you've got Hunley backed up by Rene Rivera, then you have problems. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think uh, I think there's a general recognition that that was a uh, that was that was not a process issue. That was just really unfortunate. So you you kind of made the case in your essay that what the Padres have done is not so different from what other successful, uh, sustainable, small market, low payroll teams have done. So uh, are you confident that if they just kind of stick to that process, that things will maybe 
go their way more so than they have so far and that this is this is a winning plan at least well it's possible although um again as i alluded to when i was uh, talking about the braves and and the uh relative levels of um talent that we're talking about in terms of locking these guys up uh i also did mention in the in the essay that the padres have had pretty disastrous drafts over the last decade or so right uh, or, you know, I mean, they've had they've had a few. You know, they did have the year. I think it was 05 where they got uh, where they got Venable and, and Headley and Hundley, um, and they've had a few other guys here and there where they've you know gotten a Matt Latos and then flipped him for some some well Yonder Alonso and um, and Grandal. But uh, yeah, you know, I think really the the biggest the, the the part of that whole thing. I mean, there's basically there's a couple of things. One is you want to be um, identifying this talent at the amateur level. You want to go out and get the right guys. You want to go out and bring them into your system and develop them and, of course, keep them healthy. And then you want to lock them into these favorable deals um, that hopefully they're the high-level talents that you can do that with. And and then, yeah, then hopefully, um, and there's a lot of hope in this, of course, but it'll start to kind of build on, build on itself. I'm thinking, of, I'm, I'm thinking back even to like the way the Indians were doing it in the 90s. Um, but part of the problem is, you know, when, when the first part of that plan is is obtain really good amateur talent and you're not quite there, it's it's sort of hard to make the rest of it work. Um, I think there are a few pieces, but there there could probably be a lot more if they had um, if they'd been a little more successful or a lot more successful in their drafts. So uh, so okay so I have a question that I have to ask for selfish reasons I'm in this um, like kind of prediction pool where I have to name a an all star for every team and I don't know who the Padres all star is going to be um, so uh, I was hoping you could tell me <laughs> uh, well whoever it is probably won't play um, that's sort of a tradition we have um, because <laughs> well <laughs> uh, who will be the Padres all star this year. Um, you know, I would say, I you know, I think it'll be Kashner. Okay, good. I'm writing it down. <laughs> is, is this team going to hit, do you think? Yeah, they'll hit all right. Um, I mean, assuming anybody stays healthy, uh, which, yeah, that's sounding like a broken record there. But, um, yeah, I mean, if Grandal's healthy, he's going to hit a bit. Um, Alonzo should have a better year. He's never going to hit for much power, but if his hand and wrist and everything that makes a hitter do hitting things are, are working, he should be all right. Um, Jerko, it'll be very interesting to see how how he uh, adjusts to adjustments, to the league's adjustments. Um, I think is going to be fine. Headley, again, we don't quite know. He'll, he'll either be good or really good. Um, Maben is hurt again, so we don't know. Venable, I, I'm expecting Venable to slip a little bit this year just because he, he kind of had those two insane months last year, and um, that's that's not too reasonable to expect. Um, they've upgraded the bench a bit, having Seth Smith available to fill in when Carlos Quinton hits the DL again uh, is, is a significant upgrade over Mark Kotze. Um, uh, Quinton, you know... He, he plays 80, 85 games a year. If he could just play 120 games, that really helps a lot of the offensive problems. Um, but I, I think they've got enough depth and enough, you know, it, again, taking into account the, the park factors. I think, I think they'll do all right offensively. 
Yeah, I, I, th- I thought you made a good point. I think you were the one who made the point when when the Padres got Seth Smith and everyone said, why do the Padres need Seth Smith? And you said, because they, they kind of need a Carlos Quentin caddy because at some point they will need someone to play Carlos Quentin's position. Um, so yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the the Padres basically have to between between Quinton and Maben, the Padres pretty much have to have like five guys who are ready to start in the outfield at any time, and that's you've got a guy like Seth Smith who has starting experience, you've got a guy like Chris Denorfia who was pressed into a lot of plate appearances last year. Um, I want to say over 500, which you know in a perfect world doesn't happen, but you've got to have these guys ready to go when when the starters aren't. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the end of these interviews we compel all of our guests to give us a projected win total and finish in the division uh it seems to me that the padres have been sort of some people's surprise pick maybe this year and and certainly last year maybe because of the stronger second halves the team has had in each of those years um but do do you share any of that optimism or, or where do you see them finishing I- I mean, I, I have some optimism because, of course, it's March and it's easy to do that. But, um, you know, I think I think a lot of things need to break right for them and um, a lot of things need to go wrong with the Dodgers. But, um, yeah, it's it's possible. But I'd say for me, I, I really think they're about a 500 team. Um, I, I put them probably third in the division behind behind the Dodgers and the D-backs. And then um, and then. You know, they could be anywhere from third to fifth, but I, I put them probably about third right now. Um, I'd say that if I had to pick an absolute, if I had to pick a win total, I'd, I'd go you with do. Okay. Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah. See, I, <laughs> here's my way out of this. I say 81 plus or minus 10, uh-huh. but, but we'll go 81. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Jeff. Uh you can follow Jeff on Twitter at DuckSnorts. You can read his Padres writing at PadresPublic.com. Uh, Corey Brock from MLB.com coming up next. Please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference. Go to BaseballReference.com. Subscribe to the Play Index. Use the coupon code BP to get a $6 discount on your one-year subscription. And here's Nick with Corey. Welcome to Drop Third Strike. I'm Nick Wheatley-Schaller, and I'll be interviewing beat writers, columnists, and broadcasters from around the country, getting their perspective on the teams they cover. I'm speaking with Corey Brock of MLB.com. Corey, how's spring training going so far? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's about, I think we're approaching halfway through this, and wow. uh, this is my eighth year covering the Padres, and you know, some springs tend to go a little quicker than others, but this one is uh, kind of... I wouldn't say crawling along, but, uh, you know, I think once you reach that point when you get to games, things really start speeding up, and, you know, opening day is four weeks from today, so it feels like we're kind of inching a lot closer to starting the regular season, which is always exciting. As a writer, how does what impacts the pace of how a spring training feels like to you? I guess probably the flow of news in terms of, um, you know, breaking news. There's... There's a lot of static items that you kind of track each day. The, uh, you know, the injuries, uh, injury updates. You know, there's always somebody that pulls up with something in camp. Uh, some more severe than others. The Padres certainly a team that's been really hit hard with injuries the past two years yeah. and, and taken a really deep focus on, you know, their, their training methods and. They've even gone as far to change the infield composition of the dirt here in Arizona wow. on their practice fields yet, so it's not quite as hard 
it's funny, you know, we're talking silt, clay, and sand, and uh, yeah, I'm used to talking about fastballs and sliders and uh, bat speed and things like that, so I, I'm opening my uh, horizons a little bit as a writer, but it's kind of interesting that, you know, these teams, you know, kind of looking for ways to um, stay healthy and get through this six-week period um, where you're, you know, you're ramping up toward opening day and you're not looking to plug some holes like they've had to do in the past. Yeah, you wouldn't think that you need a geology degree to be a beat writer, but I guess teams will look at anything to get an advantage. Yeah, I better start taking some night courses, I guess. <laughs> so the big news out of camp today was that Cameron Maven injured his shoulder diving for a ball in the Padres game against the Dodgers. He missed nearly all of last year with wrist and knee problems. What have you heard about his shoulder, and how much does having him healthy mean for the mean for the Padres? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. I was off today, so I'm kind of just yeah. tracking this from from afar. But uh, you know, it sounds like you probably have an MRI tomorrow to mm-hmm. uh, determine the severity of the, the left shoulder. I guess he made a very nice diving catch and also hit his head. It looked like mm-hmm. from the video that mm-hmm. I saw. So you know, we're not really sure um, what the future is there. Yeah, kind of a guy that drifted off the radar last year, mostly because he just wasn't around because of the injuries, limited to 14 games, and uh, you know, counting on him. Yeah, you know, they've built up quite a bit of outfield depth um, just in case. You know, you also have a Cam, or I'm sorry, a Carlos Quinton issue as well, you know, in terms of keeping him on the field mm-hmm. for, you know, they'd love to squeeze 120 games out of him, but, you know, the reality might be closer to 100. So, you know, they've add, added some pieces. They have Seth Smith, who they acquired from the A's for Luke Gregerson, uh, Krista Norfia, Will Venable, uh, Carlos Quinton. Um, Kyle Blanks, you know, guys that they could fill in and they could feel like, you know, they they could still have a pretty good outfield if Cameron doesn't come around. You know, the fact is he's going to have to win this job again, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, regardless of what happened today. that He kind of needed to rebuild his credentials as a major league starter, and that sort of happens with a lot of guys when you miss so much time. So uh, we'll see what kind of setback this ultimately is, but, you know, I have to think that, if this is something, let's say, you know, dire straits, this is you know something that lingers into the regular season, uh, you're probably going to see a lot of uh, Will Venable back in center field like we did last year, with you know Krista Norfia and Wright and maybe Seth Smith uh, getting a lot of starts against right-handers in left field and right field. Well, it sounds like that their outfield depth is really going to help in, in that case because, as you said, Quentin and Maven have had lots of injury troubles last year for Maven and the last two years for Quentin. Um, do they think that Chris Denorfia would ever be a starting player, or is he really just a guy who they like to have on the bench when Quentin and Maven get injured? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. He's certainly raised his profile um, from being a uh, being a bench piece and actually a guy that was added to the organization on a minor league deal with a big league camp invite a few years back. And uh, it's really turned out to be a nice little, nice little ball player. Um, so it's kind of sending, kind of condescending when I put it that way, but you know, he's a good outfielder. I mean, and um, you talk about you know there are a lot of factors these front offices look at with with players, and you know, he's a pretty good defender. Um, one of the things that he has going for him, and it, I, you could tell this when you watch him, but um, it's hard to quantify, at least from up in the press box for us, is um, the his bat speed and the exit rate of. Uh, the ball off the bat is exceptional. And in terms of other outfielders or other players in the big leagues, it's right up there. Now I don't have the hard numbers in front of me, but I've been told this by several front office people before that when this guy squares one up, um, he really, you know, he really gets some good contact 
and the ball just really comes off his bat. So they like him a lot. He got he continues to get more and more at bats the further we go down the line here in his career. And you know he might be in line for you know 500, 550 plate appearances. They think that highly of him. So do, do they like Venable's defense better in center? You mentioned that if Maven misses time, Venable will probably step into that spot. Yeah, and you know the the metrics. Um, you know they like him. They like his defense. You know the the arm isn't considered a. The arm's probably an average arm. The range is pretty good. Um, it takes pretty good routes. The metrics aren't really kind to Will Venable. Um, I think I think internally he's viewed as a lot better defender uh, internally in the organization than he is um, elsewhere. And of course, if you're looking at you're looking at one year's worth of defensive data. Yeah. That's not really a good way to go down the road there. Yeah. So you really need like three, three plus years on that. But yeah, they like him in center. It's just an e- it's an easier plug for them. Uh, very good athlete. But, you know, we talk about his uh, playing basketball at Princeton and being a little bit of a late bloomer. But he's a yeah, he's a good athlete, and I think he's the smartest fit for center field if Maven is not healthy or can't win the job. Venable flashed some good power last year. He hit especially well in July and August. What was he doing doing during those two months that made him so productive, and can he replicate that in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. I asked him that, too, and, you know, I, I, I followed his career. There's a handful of guys in that clubhouse who have been there pretty much since I've been there or came up shortly thereafter, Chase Headley, uh, Nick Hunley, and Will Venable, uh, those three mostly, and you know, Will's always been a guy who has tinkered um, a lot with his stance, his setup, his swing. Um, you know, something something doesn't work. Um, he would switch and try something different, toe tap, uh, you know, some timing stuff, um, just a whole lot of different things. But, you know, last year, for him working with Phil Plantier and Alonzo Powell, the two hitting coaches, I really found something that worked for him, and, you know, he stuck with it. And you look at his, uh, you mentioned it a little bit there, you know, you, you look at his year as it started out, his first three months were pretty bad. But, yeah. you know, I think he, he realized that, you know, the thought process was good, the mechanics were good, maybe he wasn't, you know, getting a lot of hits, but uh, maybe he was still making a lot of hard contact, maybe a little unlucky that maybe things would change, and sure enough, they did. So, um, you know, it's funny. I think one of the best things about baseball is not everybody has the same career arc. You know, not, it's not yeah. the same linear path for these guys. And some guys find it sooner than later. Some guys <laughs> never find it at all. But, you know, maybe something for Will. He found something at age 30. Uh, this is, he's 31 now. And I think um, moving forward, he, he's he's a very good baseball player for them. You know, the one thing that scares me, though, is the, the – and this was kind of the Headley effect from 2012 moving into last year – uh, is that the uh, home run the fly ball ratio is mm-hmm. I think that's going to be um, it's going to be tough to to replicate that and that, you know I think we're going to see some regression there however you know it you know, I don't know if he hits you know 20 or 18 home runs but uh, still has an ability ability to square a ball up pretty well and I thought really I, I should mention this I thought one of his biggest steps forward last year was his ability really for the first time in his career to hit left-handers. So, yeah. um, and I, he hadn't done that before, and he had kind of been a, a platoon guy. You saw the the Norfia Venable platoon an awful lot in right field, but um, hit lefties well, hung in there a little bit, hit that front shoulder in, tracked the ball better, and, um, you know, he's an everyday player. He's going to get 600 plate appearances, and I think he's going to produce some big numbers. Looking at that August again, 42% of his fly balls ended up as home runs. Remarkable. Yeah, I think we all take that, wouldn't we? 
So yeah, and they were wise, and and they locked him up. I think they they gave him a two year extension shortly mm-hmm. after that, a club friendly deal, as, as you know the Padres are have done an awful lot in the past. They haven't completely overextended them, themselves on some deals and made some pretty smart moves this offseason, I thought, too, you know, in, in terms of spending, especially for a team that hasn't dabbled much in free agency. So, uh, you know, they're taking some steps to kind of build something here, but they think Venable, even at age 31, uh, that he still, maybe his better days might actually still be ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know how a player is going to develop. So last year, Everett Cabrera dropped his strikeout rate from 25% to 16%. Uh, that helped him get on base a bit more to take advantage of his great speed. What did he do differently that led to such a significant increase in contact? Well, he was another guy as a switch hitter that, um, if you look at his splits uh, earlier in his career, and I'm trying to remember, I think, you know, very, very bad as a right-handed hitter, almost to the point. And I hope I'm not confusing one side for the other here. I don't think I am. I think um, you know, almost to the point where, I, I've asked other people in the organization, I was like, should this guy give up switch hitting? Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I think he, he found something a little bit from that right side, a little bit more compact stroke and an ability to maybe to take the ball um, up the middle. You know, that's what they, uh, these all these hitting coaches want you to do. Um, it's going to take everything right up the middle. So I think, you know, he got a lot better from the right-hand side. Um, a guy that's, you know, that's been in, this, in their system for a while, came up as a Rule 5 pick. That, you know, that they stole from the Rockies, really, um, going back to, I don't know when that was, 08, 09, Rule 5 draft, but um, just kind of matured a little bit. And then, obviously, you know, he was their all-star representative and then got dinged with the uh, the biogenesis stuff and missed yeah. the last 50 games. But, you know, I think, you know, unlike um, unlike Yasmani Grandal, let's say, who also you know missed the first 50 games last year, you didn't have a whole lot to go on with him in terms of major league production. I came up at the end of 2012 and did that nice, you know, homer from each side of the plate, I think, in like his mm-hmm. first start or something. Um, but with, with Cabrera, the sample size is a lot bigger, and I, I don't necessarily get the feeling that they're they're too entirely worried about him, um, how he's going to play this year. And, you know, very very good defensively. Defensively, he's gotten a lot better. It's such a hard position for them. Well, it's a hard position for any team to draft and develop, but – uh, he's been pretty solid for them defensively. I think he'll be pretty good at the top of the order again. So you mentioned Yasmani Grandal. He missed most of the season last year. He had that 50-game PED suspension at the beginning of the year and then missed uh, 74 games uh, following ACL surgery. He's shown some promise at the plate, but the Padres also have um, 2011 second-round pick Austin Hedges waiting in the wings. He rates as one of the best defensive catching prospects in baseball but he's only played 20 games at double-A last year, so it might be a year or two before we see him in the majors. How much pressure is on Grandal to have a good good season this year and stay healthy? Well, I think uh, he's placing a lot of pressure on himself, and uh, that could be both good and bad. You know, they had that major knee surgery, the ACL surgery, nasty home plate collision in Washington mm-hmm. last year, and he's actually a little bit ahead of schedule. I think he's really pushed himself, but... You know, I, I know that he's put in a lot of time, not just in physical therapy and rehabilitation, but, you know, I know that, you know, he independently came into the offices in, in San Diego this past offseason and specifically requested to see video of uh, the new pitchers that they've acquired so mm-hmm. he could kind of familiarize himself with these guys before he got to spring training. So I think he's very serious about, uh, you know, winning this job back and probably restoring his credentials a little bit. Um, you know, missed the first 50 games last year, 
wasn't very good when he came back. Uh, the injury occurred certainly at a point where there was quite a bit of season left, and you know he could have had a little bit more time to kind of for the team to kind of decide, you know, exactly what what is this guy, and you know for him to showcase exactly what he is. You know, he's gotten better as a defender. Um, you know, pre-suspension, a uh, good pop from each side of the plate, a pretty good approach. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, first of all, is he going to be ready for opening day? Yeah. That's a question. He's kind of pushed himself, and um, they're bringing him along slowly. Again, we get back to our original point, talking about injuries and training. You know, they're kind of bringing these guys along slowly. Josh Johnson will make his first appearance on Monday. Carlos Quinton hasn't appeared in the game yet, and he's healthy, but they want to – they want everything to be aimed toward March 30th, that opening day game against the Dodgers. Uh, these games here out here don't mean a whole lot. So they're kind of using this as a, you know, let's ease these guys in slowly. Let's build this up. I think you'll see the Raiders play a lot more at the end of the month, including Grandolph. He's ready. So, um, you know, the catching position is pretty interesting here. Nick Hunley's still here. Rene Rivera, a good catch and throw guy who's been a, uh, you know, a career minor leaguer for so long. And, you know how this goes. You know this. The big league thing is that you know your AAA catcher ends up in the big leagues at some point. You know it's such a volatile position. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, I still think that you know the Grandall has a future. I'm just curious to see what it is. So the Padres' rotation struggled a lot last year. They had some pretty rough performances by Jason Marquis and Edison Volquez that took up a lot of their innings. Andrew Kashner was a pretty bright spot in 165 innings, and Eric Stoltz did a decent job in over. 200 innings they traded for ian kennedy last summer and called up tyson ross who pitched pretty well in 94 innings of of his own this winter you mentioned they added josh johnson on what's a pretty low risk deal for the padres so with marquis and marquis and volquez being replaced by johnson ross and kennedy how much has the rotation improved you know this might be the the best collection of starting pitchers bud black has had since he took over as manager Mm -hmm. in 07 it was actually my first year covering a team as well. So, I, you know, you, you, early on, you had Jake Peavy, Chris Young were in the rotation together. That was pretty good. Uh, Greg Maddox at the very end came in uh, for two years there. And um, But, you know, I think one through five, um, they've never had as many guys that can miss bats as they do now. And I think you, when I say miss bats, obviously we're talking, you know, strikeouts some weak contacts things of that nature. And, you know, Josh Johnson has a history doing that. Uh, Andrew Kashner uh, certainly has a live arm and, uh, you know, his sliders developing. And Tyson Ross, you know, I, I haven't checked the numbers, but, you know, this guy may have missed more bats in the second half last year than just about any other pitcher in baseball in terms of contact rates. So, mm-hmm. and Ian Kennedy, you know, not a guy you typically think is a um, a power arm because he, he's not, but you look at his career strikeout numbers and they're pretty good. And the pitching coach told me that, hey, if you could do that, he considers you a power pitcher. So and then Eric Stoltz, you know, as a number five, gave him 200 innings last year. I think anybody in the league would take that from their number five. So, you know, they've worked on some things with Josh Johnson. They worked on some things even before he got to spring training um, in terms of getting him back to that, uh, getting him extended a little bit. Um, creating more of a downhill plane. He's a tall guy, 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, They've also done that with Kennedy as well, uh, trying to create a little bit more of a downhill plane with these guys and uh, you know, really get them on, you know, work with them on pounding the strike zone. Strike one is a big one, um, getting ahead in the count because, uh, you know, they feel really good about the, uh, the upswing and the way that Andrew K 
Cash are enticing Ross are turning upwards now, and you know you're going to get from Stoltz and Kennedy and Johnson. Yes, it may be a little bit of a wild card, kind of a low risk deal, but uh, we'll see him pitch tomorrow in Scottsdale on Monday. But he, uh, um, you know, he's looked very good in his bullpen sessions and his live BP sessions. And you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that you know the pitching coach here, Darren Balsley, might be one of the best in the game. And you know, we fly under the radar a little bit in San Diego in some regards. People seem to know about our craft beer and our fish tacos, but you know, there's some uh, there's some guys out here that on on Bud Black staff that do some really good work. Dave Roberts is a new bench coach. Uh, Glenn Hoffman, Trevor's brother, is a very good third base coach, and and like I mentioned, Darren Balsley. You know, you asked Jake Peavy what he's done for him and other pitchers around the league, and they rave about the guy. So I think this rotation uh, is capable of doing some pretty big things. The Padres made some changes to Petco Park last year. They moved the walls in and reduced the height in some places. How big of a difference does this make for pitchers and especially how the Padres actually target players when they go out to get someone like Josh Johnson? Yeah, and that's a fair question. You know, this is always going to be an organization, at least while, you know, Josh Burns and Bud Black are here, that, you know, and the ballpark is still um, the way it's set up still. It's going to be a team that's still, you know, sort of with a run to prevention bent and kind of mm-hmm. uh, building it that way. But, yeah, they moved the fences in, most notably in right field, a little bit in center field. There were 21 new fence home runs last year. Um, and that was a number that they kind of thought was about what they thought. You know, mm-hmm. again, we get back to yeah. small sample sizes, and then maybe we really need three years' worth of data before we can really decide how this plays. But I tell you what, you know, opening day against the Dodgers last year, I would imagine some of that uh, – the front office suite were a little nervous when uh, Juan Uribe, of all people, went oppo at Petco Park and hit one over the fence in right field. And you're probably thinking, oh, my God, what are we doing here? Uh, Juan Uribe just went oppo on us in our own ballpark. But, um, yeah, there are 21 of those. Will Venable, I think, had three. He had the most mm-hmm. uh, most of the new phantom runs. And, you know, I think, you know, the move – Really, for me, and I think the organization kind of viewed it as a move toward neutrality, not a move uh, to it. So it's, you know, there's a difference there. You know, it's uh, this is still a big ballpark. It's still going to play big. April and May, uh, when you have that marine layer coming off that big body of water, it's, it's right outside the ballpark called the Pacific Ocean, it's still going to cut down on a lot of fly balls. But, you know, I think for the hitter, I think it really had, um, really had a big effect, even if it wasn't tangible results but just thinking that hey you know what if i really square one up here it's going to go and i think that's a very important thing for a hitter you know this ballpark has gotten into many a hitter's head uh, since i've covered the team and probably even before that and once that happens it's tough to get a guy back so i think at least from a psychological standpoint i think uh, hitters feel a lot better about this place Pitchers still feel very good about this place, that it can still be pretty forgiving. Um, so, and I think you know fans probably enjoyed a little bit, you know, higher scoring game, even if the uh, sports writers grumbled a little bit because we got so used to those two twenty-eight games. But uh, mm-hmm. no, I think everybody everybody kind of wins in this scenario, and that's that's what the Padres sort of intended. One thing that may have been affected by their ballpark in past years is the amount they like to run. They lead the majors in steals over the past three years. Guys like Cabrera, Venable, and Maven have all stolen at least 70 bases. What has led to this aggressiveness on the base paths? And have they just been focusing on getting speed in the lineup, or is it just a matter of the guys that ended up on their team? I think they're finding, again, about 
you know, they're finding ways to score runs even when, um, you know, you, you can't sit around and wait for the, you know, the Earl Weaver theory, the three-run home run. You know, you have Carlos Quinton who, um, you know, can hit a ball out of any ballpark, but, you know, with the rest of the lineup, one through eight, that might not necessarily be the case. You've got to find some ways to maybe manufacture some runs, uh, steal some bases, be aggressive with your turns around first, uh, be aggressive trying to score, um, you know, from second base on base hits, you know, depending on the outfielders and all that. And just, you know, maybe just trying to come up with some offense, scratch out a few more runs if you can. Um, you know, this has been a lineup that at times in the past couple of years has been pretty good. Uh, again, sort of decimated by injuries. You look at how they went into last year with Chase Headley was on the disabled list. Carlos Quinn was on the disabled list. Um, you know, they, they, they never really had this full complement of guys uh, that they've ever intended to have. You know, the, you know where you got he- a healthy Headley at third. You got a healthy Quinton in left. Uh, you work around. You got Cabrera as a table setter. You got Venable, who can get on base now. Uh, you know, the catching position. You know, you're going to get some stuff there. Jed Jerko, but Yonder Alonso is a guy I really like. You know, I like that rookie season he had two years ago, and mm-hmm. I think he had 39 doubles. And he was off to a pretty good start last year. He had something like six home runs in the, you know, his first 200 at bats or so, or maybe a little bit more than that. And then he suffered a hand hand injury. Never really recovered strength-wise, but, um, you know, I think there's some interesting pieces, and, you know, not all these guys have to hit 40 home runs. Um, you know, they, they each kind of have to do what they've done before, but collectively do it, and I guess that's kind of the trick. I, I think that probably applies to a lot of teams, but I think there's a sense here in San Diego, at least from Josh Burns and Bud Black, is hey, if we can keep all these guys healthy for a while, all of them together, we're going to score some runs, Ballpark's still big. We're still thinking run prevention. Mm-hmm. Our pitching staff's better. Uh, hey, you know, maybe this is a team that can win 83, 84, 85 games. Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's a pretty impressive core if you look at everyone across the board. Yeah, and it's it's guys who have done it before, um, but they just haven't done it collectively together. And that's, um, that's kind of the wild card in all this is the health component. And I know I get... I get hammered on by fans a little bit just saying, you know, you, you can't use that health as a crutch. And, you know, I, I do realize that, you know, this is a team that's also underperformed greatly um, in the first month of each of the last two seasons. And by May 1st, it's been completely out of the NL West. They can't afford for that to happen again. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of gets back to the training methods. What can we do to keep these guys healthy and on the field, keep this collection of position players together, the starting rotation we haven't talked about the bullpen, but you know, I think the back end of the bullpen is a lot stronger than mm-hmm. um, it's been in the past, especially when you set up a Torres, Benoit, Street, seven, eight, nine. That you know, this team may sneak up on some people, and maybe they're kind of. I've seen a few things. You know, they're everybody's kind of chic pick to make a move in the NL West. Yeah, so they definitely again definitely a team that could compete if they stay healthy. Um, one question, which will be sort of hanging over their heads this year, is Chase Headley will be a free agent next winter. Um, he's been considered a possible trade piece for contenders looking for a good third baseman. Uh, what does his future in San Diego look like? Yeah, that's kind of a complicated question. You know, I think you know Chase would like to stay in San Diego. I think mm-hmm. the Padres would like to keep him here. Um, you know, he's not too keen on negotiating during the season uh, for fear of um, you know distraction. I think you know we've seen that happen a few other places before, and you know also you know, he. You know, he's had a he had a slide last 
year offensively. And uh, so maybe the Padres are looking at this like, okay, well, you know, we're going to, you're going to make 10 million this year. You're going to be a free agent after this year. Let's see how this, this year plays out. And then maybe we could, uh, we could look at this a little bit more in the off season. I think from Chase's end, uh, especially with his representation, uh, his agent group have scored have scored some huge deals in the last few years. Uh, the Tanaka deal being the latest, so maybe it behooves him a little bit to look at free agency and mm-hmm. see what's out there. But you know, I you know I, I hate to think that um, you know it's a guy I like dealing with, and you know has been a good player for them. You know he has his warts, I understand, but this is a guy who is a uh, plays a premium position at third base, has power from each side of the plate. Is willing to take a walk, extremely durable, and he's a plus defender. I think there's a real value in that. And even if you look at his war last year, even though he, he slid a little bit, it was still pretty good. And this, this is a nice piece, a guy that's not even 30 yet. So I think that there's still a lot of upside here. Um, you know, let's be, let's watch how this kind of shakes out uh, this year. You know, if, he's, if the team struggles badly. And he's playing well. Maybe they move him yeah. um, and, and get some pieces back. However, you know the big problem these days is, as you've seen throughout the industry, is no one wants to part with their prospects. These guys are gold. I mean, these are kind of like indentured servants. They're not making anything, and you control them for what seven years, six, seven years. So, um, you know, the, the days of those mega prospect deals, I think those are gone. I mean, that's probably. A, topic for another day they just don't see a whole lot of those anymore will myers maybe that's one of the last ones but you know in terms of getting young talent back and just teams are just so reluctant to move these guys so um you know if we're talking a year from now is chase headley here i'm slightly inclined to think that he isn't but i think he's he's probably holding out hope and i think the Potters are holding out hope that he is all right, well, it sounds like the Padres are going to have a very interesting season. We'll keep an eye out on Maven. He could really make a difference. But uh, thanks for coming on the show, Corey. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. Hey, thank you very much. That was Corey Brock of MLB.com. You can read Corey at Padres.com or follow him on Twitter at follow the Padres. Tomorrow we'll be discussing the Milwaukee Brewers. Thanks for listening. Seven hours on the highway. Good times. Are you driving alone? Nah, my wife came out this time. What did you listen to? What did we listen to? Um, she, <laughs> she listened to me mostly. <laughs> she kind of got the short end of that one, but <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. You're telling us that, but we're about to ask you to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Can we have her on, possibly? <laughs> <laughs>